Want a better return on your cash in this high inflation environment? This is episode 388 of the Queer Money Podcast. And today we're talking about I-bonds, EE bonds, and treasuries, and how they can help you find a better yield, whether you want to park your cash for a few weeks or several years. Sharing her knowledge of bond investing is Kate Dorr, a personal friend of ours who goes way back with us when she used to go by the alias Cashville Skyline. Kate's now a certified financial planner who's been published in Business Insider, Investopedia, and now, get this, writes regularly for CNBC. Now, I'm with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. Well, welcome, Kate, to the podcast. It's good to finally have you. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah. In preparation for this, David and I were like going like way back in our, we started blogging in 2012, 15. 15. Well, 2013 got a little bit more serious in 2014. And that's about when we started to see like, who's this Cashville skyline person? They <laughs> seem mysterious and interesting. And we had no idea who they were but for the longest time. We thought it was male, but it turns out to be, <laughs> turns out to be Kate. We, we met her in an elevator one day. She's like, Oh, you're the debt free guys. I'm Cashville skyline. I'm like, <laughs> you're a woman <laughs> it's funny yeah i was anonymous because i at the time i didn't want anyone to know you know a lot of us were anonymous in the beginning and and i used a gender neutral name intentionally because yeah, nice. i didn't want yeah i was in the i was in the concert business at the time concert promoter and trying to figure out a way to transition into another area which is which is pretty funny looking back at now yeah, totally. And that we, that's probably a reason for us to have you back for another episode, because we all often talk with our listeners about the need to diversify income streams. And there, there are many ways to do that. And it's, of course, one of the concerns that people have is, well, I've got an employer and I won't be accused of moonlighting and create some sort of conflict of interest at all. But so, yeah, your story is sort of a, a great example of how you can make a smart transition going from being a concert promoter being a little bit ambiguous. And then all of a sudden <laughs> you're a highfalutin fancy CNBC reporter. <laughs> right. I know quite the, quite the transition from yeah music concerts and then get into financial planning and writing for CNBC. Yeah, and you have your CFP, right? Yeah. Yep. Finally yeah, earned so. that about a year and a half ago, but that took a little while too. That was part of the transition period after the concert promoter as well. Yeah. yeah and just for our listeners, that's not an easy test to pass. I We know lots of people have taken it and a good percentage of them have all failed and some have given up. They said, I'm not doing it more than two or three times. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so congratulations to you. Thank you. Well, I didn't pass on the first time. So for anyone who doesn't pass on the first time, I definitely would encourage you to keep going because yeah. it's worth it. Yeah. We know several people who are like that, who, yeah. who didn't, they, they pass eventually passed and got their designation. But the, I think it's the first, that first exam that people are like, Oh, okay. I need to rethink how much I need to study and how I study. (laughs) Not an easy test for sure. So let's transition to the super sexy topic of bond investing. (laughs) (laughs) So we've had several listeners ask about I-bonds. I know we're probably a little bit late to this game in terms of covering it. A couple months ago, a year or so ago, I-bonds were all the rage and super sexy topic. Maybe a little bit less so, and you might dive into, I think, some maybe sexier topics. 
But for our listeners to lay a baseline, what are I-bonds and why might some of our audience members think about considering adding those to their portfolio? Yeah. So series I-bonds, that's the full name. It's an investment that comes from the U.S. Treasury Department. It's a bond, a 30-year investment. And what what has made it popular is that it's it adjusts for inflation. So with inflation being the way it has over the last two years, as you imagine, the, the rate has gone up, which has made the yield more attractive than it had previously been, which is why no one really thought about it. No one was talking about it. It was really in November of 2021 because the rate adjusts every six months. So 2021, where the rate popped up to 7.12%, annual returns where people were like, wow, and that's when it really blew up. And then of course, the six months after that, that was May of 2022, popped up to 9.62. Again, both of these were record. This, this product was introduced in 1998. And so these were record yields for I-bonds. And again, that's because inflation had been so low for so long. People just had never really talked about it. It wasn't really a consideration, not a very attractive investment because the yield was so low. Yeah. And with the way savings rates have been for generation now, these are very attractive to people getting a much better return on some something that's just a little bit more risky than cash, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So not can... entirely risk-free. I'll say, I always have to say not, although it is backed by the U S government, you know, there are some risks, but not credit risk the way that you would have with a company. Right. You know, it's not a corporation that could potentially default. It's, it's unlikely that the U S will default, although I guess we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but I remember going through new broker training and I remember people saying, if we ever broke the buck, if a mutual fund or, or, money market ever broke the buck, then it would be calamity. Like we'd be losing our internet and everything was going down. And then that, that just happened, <laughs> that happened years ago. That happened and in It wasn't the end of the world. <laughs> so, right. so can you give our listeners and give us a little bit, what are the specifics of I-bonds? What are the issuers, the purchase limits? There are some intricacies that might be good to know. Yeah. So again, I've already mentioned that they are backed by the, the U.S. Treasury Department. So they are, they are the issuer through Treasury Direct. That's the platform, the only place that you can buy them. There's a purchase limit of $10,000 per year, but there are some exceptions, of course, if you have a business or a trust, that could be an option where you would buy more than the $10,000 limit. And of course, a couple could buy $10,000 each. So you know, a couple together, they could each get the $10,000. There's also the option of getting, this is kind of funny, an option of getting an additional $5,000 paper I-bonds through your tax refund. So yeah. timely, given that some people still haven't filed. And if you're wanting to buy I-bonds, that could be a way to get above that, that $10,000 limit. And one thing I'll say is it's a calendar limit. So sometimes if, if someone were wanting to buy, let's just say they're wanting to buy you know double the amount, they may have, say, made their purchases toward the end of last year. And then the calendar, you know, New Year's Eve happens, next day comes, you can buy another 10,000. So yeah, if you max it out last year, at the end of the year, let's say you love the rate that you saw in the fall, you could potentially buy 10,000 more now. I'm trying to think what else. Oh, and say purchase limits, treasury department. And it is, I'll say one specific about it is you can't touch the money for one year. That is one, one thing that's really important to know. You can't tap it. It's locked up. Also, you if you go to redeem it within five years, there's a three-month interest penalty from the previous three months. So that's something else to know. Again, it is a a 30 year bond, of course, but again, people, you know, you have the ability to sell it sooner if you want. And the interest is another thing that's 
interesting about it, which this is the same for treasuries, it is tax-free at the state and local level. So if you live in a high-tax state or even like a city like New York City, for example, that could be an attractive option for some people who are wanting to not have to pay those state and city taxes on the I-bond interest that you earn. Right. And just folks, for those of you who are listening, who who haven't listened to per our previous episodes about what bonds are, bonds in essence are basically a loan. Whether you're loaning the money to a company, a city, or the US government, bonds are basically issued as a loan. So you're loaning money, in this case, to the US government, and they're going to pay you interest, similar to putting money into a bank account and the bank paying you interest. They're using this money to generate, technically, I guess, generate money through taxpayer revenue and pay us back. And so there, that's partly probably why there are some requirements around why you can't take the money out in the first year and why there are some penalties if you wait for you have to wait for the first five years to withdraw because the government wants to not be a bank. They don't want money going in and out on these kinds of <laughs> instruments on a daily basis, right? Somebody dropping in and saying, I'll buy it today and sell it tomorrow. They don't need that. What they need is they want a long-term hold on this money because they're funding oftentimes big projects or as we see in politics right now, they're actually funding the government itself. <laughs> right, right. So that's a great segue into a quite, well, skip ahead here a little bit. With the U.S. reaching the debt limit again and everybody changing their opinion on whether or not we should change the debt limit again, that seems to be depending on who's in power, whether or not we want to change that, and you know threats to Social Security and Medicare, what kind of risk would I be assuming getting into I-bonds and actually getting my money back? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know... It's unlikely, you know, it's, it's it's generally perceived that it's unlikely that the U.S. government is going to default on their obligation. But in terms of a matter of, you know, it, it's just we're not sure exactly what could happen. I know that this this debt crisis is going to come to a head sometime this summer. So depending on which way it goes, you know, there could be certainly impacts on people going to redeem. You know, there could be a waiting period, something like that. We don't we don't really know for sure exactly what would happen. And the same goes for treasuries. And I know that people are concerned about social security payments and whatnot, but it's un, it's unclear right now. But I think it is worth noting because just given the nature of the economic environment that we're in. But overall, you know, if the government were to default and not pay everybody back, we'd have much bigger problems, you know, with the greater economy and the stock the stock market as a whole. I mean, that would be a major a major crisis, much worse than what we're looking at right now. Yeah. Right. Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ+ community, through access to credit tools to manage debt, and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. So there's a priority of lenders typically. You know, I'm wondering, is there a priority of, if the, the government does run into a brick wall. Is there a priority of who gets paid like bondholders over treasury holders over social security beneficiaries and 
Medicaid, like, is there, do you know if there, I, we didn't that's send this question. question. In I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. yeah. That's, I'd love to know the answer to that too. Cause certainly anyone who's like, anyone who either owns one of these assets or is expecting a social security, I'm sure is probably looking that up as we speak, yeah. knowing yeah. that we're going into this, this position that we're in the summer. I don't, I don't know. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah I'm curious if that's out there. So back to I bonds though, there's something unique about them because they offer a composite rate. Mm-hmm. Of course, nothing can be easy with the government and, and, and fixed income, right? So what does that mean and how is that calculated? Yeah, so there are two parts to I-bond rates. There's a variable rate that adjusts every six months based on the consumer price index, which is one of the, the prime gauge that we use for measuring inflation in this country. And it's based on six months of data. And so, for example, we're going to see a new rate coming in May. That will be based on the... <laughs> The six months preceding that, which would be reported in April, so it goes up to March 2023. I know that's a little bit confusing, but so it'd be March, February, January, December, November. It's based on those six months of of data. But then there's also a fixed rate component. And that one is a little bit more elusive, I should say, because we don't know, you know, the Treasury Department's not, they're not really transparent about exactly how they decide you know, what that fixed rate is going to be. Right now, it's 0.4%. Is it going to go up? Is it going to go down? It was zero for a long time. We don't know. There isn't a public calculation, whereas you can sort of calculate once you get the the CPI numbers for, let's see, once it comes out in April, so it'd be reporting the March numbers, you can actually go back through those six months and sort of calculate what you think the variable portion of the rate is going to be. But the fixed rate is still the well card. So like we were doing right. it, we do this every six months. We're like, okay, we know like this, the same thing happened. It was in October of last year. We're like, okay, going to try to estimate what we think it's going to be in November. And then lo and behold, they came out and they it went from 0%, you know, 0.4% for the fixed rate. So that's the part that's a little bit, you know, unclear and, and hard to decide or how to hard, hard to guess which direction that the treasury department might go. So that's what are you predicting now? <laughs> <laughs> That's such a tough question. We're still so we're still missing two months of data on the CPI numbers. But I will say it, you know, it has been trending downward. So it's certainly possible that I know that the numbers were a little hotter than we were hoping for January in terms of the CPI reading, but it's still overall, you know, inflation, it's certainly certainly still high and Americans are still feeling it at, you know, grocery store, many, many areas, you know, eggs, you know, all kinds of things. However, <laughs> it has like it has been moving downward since that high that we saw in July of 2022. So, it's possible that it'll go, you know, I don't want to say for certain what way it will go, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it go lower and as of right now, it is 6.89%. That's both of those that's the variable and the fixed rate combined. That is the rate that we got in November and that'll go through the end of April. So, the very beginning of May, it's usually the first business day of the month. That's when they announce it. it's like 10 a.m. Go to treasurydirect.com. <laughs> Very exciting. If you're like me, you're refreshing the page. It's and, like uh, buying Matana <laughs> tickets, right? You're only the first t- day it's available. T-Swift. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. T-Swizzle. <laughs> right. right. I, I did hear something interesting, and maybe you can confirm this, but didn't they recently decide to take out the price of eggs from the CPI? And I'm I'm, <laughs> that, I'm not sure about that. I, I thought sure I heard that. this. So, I, so I, let's take out all the things that are actually affecting people's wallets. <laughs> well, and, and I'm curious, it, it, you know, if you if we take out these things that seem to be spiking a lot right now, is this kind of 
manipulating what's going to happen with the CPI number so that this doesn't go too high. Because that's <laughs> I mean, literally that is one of the concerns of the government. All of us want to get the cheapest mortgage rate. All of us want to get the cheapest car loan rate. All of us want right. to get the lowest rate when we're borrowing money. And this is one where the government has said, we're going to use the cost of these prices of goods, this basket of goods. <laughs> we're going to move the goalposts. To determine how much we pay you. So we're going to pull this one out so that it lowers. I didn't, the... I didn't hear that. I know that eggs have been such a hot topic over the last month because they've been so expensive. But I was going to say what is interesting. I saw a report from JP Morgan just talking about the basket of goods overall. I think it's interesting for either pre-retirees or retirees to kind of think about what is your personal inflation rate? Because, for example, you know, if you're someone who doesn't, maybe you don't buy eggs, or maybe you're someone who doesn't travel a lot, or maybe you're someone who, you know, some of the areas like, for example, I know gasoline was fuel was a was a huge surge last year, but maybe you're somewhere where you don't have those high costs or you don't travel very much or, um, or even just overall, you know, retirees tend to eat, they don't eat as much food, (laughs) you're not maybe not going out to eat as much, you know, those kinds of things. And so I think it's worth putting the headlines into perspective in that way that, you know, your personal inflation rate could be lower, not to diminish, you know, the high prices that people are seeing across the board. But I think it's, you know, sometimes we feel this panic when we see the CPI number come out every month, and we're like, Oh, wait, but that's, that's because for example, you say, Oh, well, that's because, again, the cost of eggs or the cost of fuel is super high. But then you look at it and you're like, wait, but I actually work from home and I, you know, or, or I don't shopping for a used car. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I mean, if you look at some of the individual items that are driving that number up, I think it's where it maybe puts things into perspective and might alleviate some anxiety that someone might be feeling as they're seeing those numbers did for me anyway. With everybody talking about the price of eggs, has anybody been talking about the price of chickens and if they're more affordable? <laughs> That's a good question. I, I, we did see a YouTube video about, I think it was she was six years old or eight year old, years old. A little girl in a neighborhood has, has like four or five chickens and one duck. And she is basically selling like $25 a day worth of eggs. And... <laughs> I mean, she's an enterprising little girl. I, I, I wouldn't like be surprised. Yeah. We see, you know, 15, 20 years from now, she's going to be on the cover of Entrepreneur Magazine as <laughs> owner of Purdue Farms or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I so know. It, it seems like there are a lot of variables here and, and a lot of guessing going on right now because of everything, is, everything seems to be so crazy in the economy. How would I-bonds fit into my portfolio and should I be thinking of them in any way, shape or form as they relate to my retirement, maybe 5, 10, 15 years down the road? Yeah. So some some advisors that I've spoken with, a lot of them, now it's, it's, it's kind of complicated because, well, for one, you know, advisors would have to go, you know, individual investors have to go to Treasury Direct and buy these assets themselves. So it's not really in the port. I don't want to say it's not part of the portfolio, but it's not in the assets under management bucket. Let's say you have a brokerage account or, or a, an IRA that was rolled over and you have a, an, you know, an investment advisor who's managing all that for you. This is kind of a separate thing. And with the limits being where they are, you know, 10,000, I don't want to diminish. I mean, that's a lot of money for some people, 10,000 a year, sure. but for, yeah. for people that have bigger portfolios as they're approaching retirement, you know, that's kind of a, it's kind of a small slice of the bond allocation potentially. I mean, of course you can, you can get up there, but the other, the other factor is like, Hey, this is, this is an asset that moves up and down based on where we are with inflation. So right. although it looks attractive right now, you know, I mean, even you see it in the treasuries right now, you know, 
we have an inverted yield curve right now, which means <laughs> not to get too technical, but that basically means that, you know, these, these treasuries, these another type of bond that are issued by the U.S. government, you know, basically these longer term ones are actually paying less than the shorter term ones. And what that means is that they're expecting that eventually the rates are going to go down. Among other signs, there's other, other things that this could potentially mean for the economy. But experts have said that, you know, at some point, all these interest rate hikes that we've seen, we've seen a series of interest rate hikes from the Federal Reserve over the last year. Eventually, inflation is going to cool. They're going to stop. And then eventually they're going to cut interest rates. And so at that point, you know, again, when inflation goes back down, I bonds, you know, there may not, <laughs> well, they may be attractive right now. They, they may not necessarily be the long-term, you know, piece of your portfolio that, that you're wanting. On the flip side, that fixed rate portion could potentially be attractive, you know, depending on how high that goes. So I think it's worth considering. For example, I think I was looking at the history. There's actually a chart if you go to their website and it shows like, Here's the history of the variable rate. Here's the history of the fixed rate. And at one point, it was in the 2000s. I, I don't remember the exact year, but there was one point where it reached 3% on that fixed rate. So, and that fixed rate stays the same when you purchase the bond for the life that you own it. So let's just say you had wow. purchased the, the, the I bond, you know, when it was maybe the variable rate was row, but you got that 3% on the fixed rate. Well, right now <laughs> you'd yeah. be getting, you know, that, that plus the, you know, 6.48 that's looking pretty good. You yeah, know? Nice. So that's so, worth considering too. That's interesting that what folks have to take into consideration is these two different moving pieces. And the reality is that you said the fixed rate right now is 0.4%, right? Yeah. So if let's just say 10 years from now, inflation is back down to a normal rate, you could be looking at having a bond that is returning 1% every year, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not a yeah, great return. Right. But I right. guess if we're back in that kind of inflationary environment, you're probably still doing better than a savings account because it'll all be back at <laughs> point zero zero one point. Right. That's yeah, true. I mean, if you got if you got that, I was going to say, I mean, fixed rate point four percent could potentially be sadly could potentially be better than some of the savings <laughs> rates that we saw when rates were as low as they were. You're right, but it's yeah, it's kind of that's the hardest part about these things is they're kind of a guessing game and. An advisor kind of described it as a satellite, like a kind of an exterior. You have like, you know, your solar system of your your portfolio. And then over here, maybe this is a little allocation. And a lot of, you know, there what a lot of people were using I-bonds for over the last two years is they're thinking of it more of a short-term investment. Maybe it's a tier of their emergency because everyone needs emergency savings too, you know, whether you're working or you're retired. And so maybe it's, you have some extra cash sitting on the sidelines and you don't know what you want to do with it. You know, or you think, hey, I know I have a big purchase coming. Let's say you have a big home repair coming up and you're like, hey, next year, I know I'm going to have to replace my HVAC system. Okay. Well, throw it into, you don't need the money right this second, throw it into the I-bond and you can get it after a year. And that rate, you know, again, we don't know what the, we don't know what the rate is going to be in May. So I don't want to say six point, you know, 6.89% certainly is not guaranteed past May at this point. However, let's say that you had purchased it last year. You would, you know, you know, for sure that you would be getting more than it would get in a savings account or a CD, even with that three-month penalty that you're looking at for redeeming it within five years. Right, so yeah. it was, you know, it really just depends on where it goes because, you know, that lack of liquidity, you know, some people don't like locking their money and that's a, that's a big barrier. Some people don't want to lock that money up for a year and I, I certainly can understand why. Right. But I do like your suggestion about, you know, if you've got thirty, sixty thousand dollars 
in emergency savings to cover your your living expenses, you could you know throw ten thousand, fifteen thousand dollars into an I bond and get a slightly better rate. Of course, you're locking it away. So if there is the job loss or whatever, the the precarious furnace finally finally goes, you know, you kind of restrict it that way. But if you're not concerned about that, you might as well get a bit better return. Mm-hmm. I also heard someone talking about how this would be for them personally, this would be a great place to be socking away money that they were going to be putting as a down payment on a house. So mm-hmm. they knew that they wouldn't, they couldn't afford a de- the down payment on a home in 2022, but they had $10,000. They would be, or actually I think in, in this case that the person had $5,000 that they wanted to put away for down payment. That's where they were going to put their money to get that higher return rather than putting it into a savings account that was earning maybe one, one and a half, two percent. Right. Although I will say, you know, savings account rates have gone up too at this point. I mean, you're seeing above, you're seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of the big online high yield savings accounts are above 4% at this point. You see some, you know, you do always see those special deals, which I'm always skeptical of because an expert had mentioned to me, when you see those kind of those fintech companies getting into the space, it's, it can be a little nerve, you know, it makes me a little nervous personally. I'd prefer to stick with the tried and true, you know, the names that you know, but yeah, I mean, four, over 4% is certainly better than we've seen in many years. And, and again, like depending on what that, uh, depending on what that rate is in, in May, I mean, you could be looking at not that big of a difference for one thing that you can tap immediately, no penalties involved, easy mm-hmm. access, 100% liquid, and even, you know, again, CDs too. And then, you know, the other option, of course, is treasuries, which <laughs> I can talk a little bit about as well, which has become, you know, over the last, it seems like with every month, it's like these these treasury, the short-term treasuries, which are ones that are less than a year to the maturity. So those are also, again, government bonds. I mentioned, we've talked about a few different government bonds, but these treasuries now, there's different yields. You know, you start as low as four weeks and goes all the way up to one year. Anything above that would be a different type of, you know, different type of government-backed asset. But these treasuries now, you know, the six month, as of today, the six month, I, I should feel like I should say as of February 27th today, because, you know, these things <laughs> right, change, well, these things change, you know, these yeah, things change constantly. So you do yeah. have to, you do have to watch because it really does depend on what's going on with the Fed and everything else. But as of today, February 27th, you know, the six month and the one year are paying over 5% annually, yeah, that's which, crazy. yeah, which is, I mean, and for those, you know, that's another asset that you can either buy. The nice thing about those, you can buy those through, if you already have your treasury direct account that you open for I-bonds, you can buy treasuries really easily through there, or you can buy them through a brokerage account, which is a little bit easier because again, like we were talking about before, there is one restriction where you have to hold it. I think it's 45 days after you purchase. So let's say that you bought, let's just pretend you bought a six month treasury and you decided, Hey, I want to sell this in three months you would still have to hold it in there for 45 days. And then you have to transfer it over to a brokerage account, which is a bit of a process. So the yeah. easier option, if you're worried about liquidity, would definitely be to buy those in a brokerage account. And pretty right. much any of the players offer that option. Okay. Gotcha. That's good advice. I know that we hadn't planned on talking about this, but can you talk a little bit about how the price of the bonds can kind of teeter-totter based on what is going on with the interest rates. So to say, for example, today I buy a treasury and the yield is 5%, but let's say six months from now, because inflation has changed or economics have changed, treasuries then are paying 
4%, what -hmm. would happen to the price of the bond or what would happen if the price of the, or the yield had gone up to 6%? Yeah. So any type of bond, whether you're talking about treasuries or even, you know, a corporate bond, any type of bond, there's an inverse relationship between interest rates and bond prices. So as the Fed, you know, to put it another way, as the Fed hikes up interest rates, you're actually going to see bond prices go down, which is part of what we saw in the the bond market last year. It's part of why bond, you know, bond market as a, the stock market and bond market, it was, you know, a very bad year for both of them. And it's pretty, you know, pretty unusual to see the bond market do as poorly as it did in addition to the stock market. I think they said it was like the worst you'd seen in like 50 years, something like that. And so again, that's direct result of what we saw at the Federal Reserve series of rate hikes that started, I think it was like February. And, you know, each time those go up, that means the bond values go down. And so that's something else to consider. Again, it's, it's, it's kind of tricky because it's almost like none of us have a crystal ball. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with the Federal Reserve. And so, keeping that in mind. And of course, these yields are tied to these yields that you're seeing with treasuries. They are tied to what's happening with these Fed, you know, these Fed rate hikes, especially the short-term ones. So again, you kind of see that priced in where, you know, it kind of, you see these high yields around the six month, one year mark, and then it kind of, it kind of drops, drops a little bit down after that. And so it's, it kind of goes to show that the market sort of, again, the market believes that at some point inflation is going to, is going to taper off. And the Fed is going to, you know, it's going to stop raising rates and then eventually we'll cut rates. And so that'll bring treasuries are another thing that were very low for <laughs> other than I think it was t- 2018. There was a brief period where they were paying 3%. These are the, the excuse me, the one year T bills specifically. But, you know, again, another asset that we weren't really talking very much about for a long time because rates were just so low, you know, after the Great Recession, it's like, zero, you know, hovering around 0% for, for years and years and years. And so it wasn't very sexy, but now it's a, <laughs> now it's a, it's a hot asset, you know, the way that I bonds have been. And, and also again, for people who are worried about with the stock market being the way it is, people are worried, you know, they're worried about protecting, protecting certain cash. You know, again, you don't, maybe you don't want to throw all your money into the stock market. Maybe you have some, again, your emergency fund that you need to protect. You don't want that to be held to the whims of, of what's happening in the stock market and that, you know, a treasury or an I bond or like a government backed security, again, unless some weird thing happens, you know, this summer, you know, it's, it's very likely that you're going to get that money back your principal and with, with interest attached. So, you know, again, a very relatively safe asset for people. Awesome. And still for my father, he's sitting in cash. Yeah. Well, he's got, he's got a money market, so he's actually earning a pretty, pretty decent rate, but oh, good. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It, it, uh, the reason I bring that up and, and ask that question about the relationship is because I do remember when working in financial services, people would buy a bond at a face value of $1,000, $10,000, whatever the face value was, and then rates would change. And they were totally, especially when rates went up, they were just completely shocked that their price of their bond had dropped. And they're like, why did I lose money? This is supposed to be secured. <laughs> this is a risk-free investment. It's tied to the interest rate rather than, than actual price. The price will, the five or $10,000 or whatever you, the face value that you bought it at, will be what you get paid if you hold it all the way until maturity. So whether it's a one-year bond or a five-year bond or a 30-year bond, if you hold on to it, you would eventually get the whole month, all of that money back. But mm-hmm. you may be getting a better or worse rate depending on what the interest rates are currently paying. 
<laughs> yeah, I'll say one other weird thing about treasuries is they're often sold, the, the one year in particular, the T-bills the are often sold at a discount, which I know is a little confusing for people. It was a little confusing for me when I first heard about it. It's like, what do they mean discount? So it might be a little cheaper. Let's say you put in a thousand, maybe it's 950. And what happens is you actually get that full amount. Like you just said, you know, you get, like John just said, you get that full amount back when it matures. And, and it's all the other weird thing is that when you go in, you go in, and if you're buying it through treasury direct, it's actually an auction that takes place that determines the yield that you're going to get for the term. And basically what that is, is big institutions are bidding against each other for these treasuries. You don't have to actually take any action. I went through the steps myself because I wanted to make sure I understood, but it's these big institutions that are bidding. You don't do anything. And then when the auction ends, it says, okay, this is the rate that you got. And then you have the assets in your account, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> it's sort of like, okay. But then again, you know, you get that full amount and then that's, so I, I bring that up only to mention that it's not 100% apples to apples when you're looking at the rate for treasuries right. compared to say a savings account, because the interest rates calculated a little bit differently. Mm. And so, I mean, it's not, not a huge difference, but you know, for someone that's watching those percentages really closely, it's slightly different. And so this topic might be over a lot of people's heads. It's kind of a complicated, I think, for some people. So it's even having been in financial services as long as I've been, it's a little bit over my head sometimes. But as you get closer to retirement, short. That's that's the only reason why. Because I'm short. That's a short joke. It's not funny. I think Kate's smaller than I am. I know. I was gonna say no short jokes in this room. I'm the shortest one here. Yeah. This can be complicating for some folks, but I think you know, as as we get closer to retirement, as you're trying to be strategic with your cash positions. These are conversations you want to have at the very least with your financial advisor. So if you if this seems to be a little bit over your head, maybe talk to your financial advisor, find out how this can fit into your portfolio. We're kind of at the age now, David and I, now that we're closing in on the 50s, we're starting to have this conversation ourselves. So. <laughs> okay. I did a short joke. Now he does an ageist joke. I can't help it. You're, you're hitting all the years before me. <laughs> it's okay. My my partner is a lot younger than me, so I understand. I I'm the, I'm the old one in the, my relationship. But no, I mean, I think it's a really good point though because people a lot of times, you know, when when the the um, I bonds were hot, you know, it's like la especially like, you know, last fall or even like basically like most of last year, it's like people were like, "Should I buy I bonds?" I was like, "Well, it depends on your goals." I mean, I, I hate to use that answer, but it really does depend on what what you're investing the money for. And again, if you're investing for retirement, that's going to look a lot different. The assets that you choose are going to look a lot different than say assets that you know you're going to need to use in one year, you know, for like right. the down payment for a house or even your emergency fund. It's like those are not the same assets and everybody's goal and everybody's risk tolerance looks different. Some people it's like they the thought of their portfolio dipping a tiny bit, you know, keeps them awake at night. Okay, so maybe that's someone who doesn't need, you know, maybe somebody would prefer the safer, you know, again, the the treasuries and you know those types of assets might might feel better for them because they know you know this is a safe a safe asset. Again, there's always the concern of meeting you know meeting inflation, but you just want to you know think about your personal situation before you're going in and just following what your friend is doing or what you see somebody on the right. internet doing. It's really an individual decision. Chasing 100%. those yields, chasing those returns, right? <laughs> Careful what race you're running in, because it might not be the race you want to be in. <laughs> right. And that's, you know, in Morgan Housel's book, The Psychology of Money, is everybody's playing a different game. So what somebody says is 
killing it for them, it may not be something that you want to do because the game that they're playing is completely different than the game that you're playing. So to Kate's point, be crystal clear on what game you're playing, talk with a financial advisor about all that, and then have them structure a portfolio or investment strategy tailored for your needs. Before we wrap things up, I'd like to, if you could, don't mind cover, covering e-bonds and how mm-hmm. investors might want to, what they might want to know about e-bonds and how they might fit into their portfolio. Yeah. So again, another government-backed investment, another type of savings bond that's issued by the U.S. Treasury Department. And that's one, again, that's it's there are some similarities between E-bonds and I-bonds and that, that they're both a 30-year term. The biggest difference is that E-bonds are a fixed rate for the entire, the entire time you own it. The one thing I'll say is uh, regardless of what the rate is, the government says, we will double your money if you hold it on for 20 years. That's like the big thing to know about that. However, I will say as of right now, you know, it's not really being talked about a lot. The rates around two, I think it was 2.1% today when I was looking at it. And that's through April. Again, it's another one that fluctuates. And so that's, you know, just something to keep in mind that, you know, obviously that's not meeting inflation and not, but there are some other purposes that people might use those for. I know that's one, I know that's not the most popular use, but there was a time where using them, the interest you wouldn't have to pay, you wouldn't owe taxes if you use the money for, you know, college expenses, things like that. But it's one that's more of a, I would say almost like more of a long-term play because it's not tied to the inflation. But as of right now, you know, the yield is not, uh, obviously not really competing with, with I-bonds. If you're thinking, again, it depends on your goal, right? Again. <laughs> you know, not really competing. Yeah. Not really competing with an I-bond for someone who's in, in it for the short term. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Cool. I think this has been super informative and I think helpful for for us and our listeners. Where and how can our listeners connect with you? Yeah. So I am on Twitter. It's probably my primary social media platform, just at Kate Dore. That's D-O-R-E. And then I write for CNBC, CNBC cnbc.com in the personal finance section. So I write a story pretty much every day. I write a lot of tax topics and investing topics. So I'm always open to questions and ideas. So please don't hesitate to reach out and I love, obviously love nerding out about any of these things. So <laughs> always open <laughs> to ideas and things that people are interested in learning more about because it gives me a chance to dive into something and learn more myself. Yeah. Awesome. And we also want to thank you because you have covered the LGBT topics in the past on CNBC. Yeah. And that's very few and far between in big financial media. And we appreciate that. It's nice to see our community mentioned and discussed and options and opportunities talked about. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I, me personally, you know, as a member of the LGBTQ community, I, I personally like seeing these stories told outside of Pride Month. And yes. I also like yes. including diverse voices as expert sources too. Like I'm part of the Financial Planning Association's Pride Planners group. And so I've had, you know, some connected with some good sources through there. I'm always open to connecting with more. And yeah, like I think just, you know, we want to see ourselves in, in, as experts in, in these fields. And so. I think it's nice to to represent those voices and tell those stories again, not just during not just during the month where every every corporation changes their logo to the <laughs> <Exactly>. rainbow. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Yeah. So thank you for all that. Thank you for coming on the show, and we'll definitely have to cu- have you come back. Maybe we'll have to come have yeah. you come back next year to talk about the exciting topic of taxes. <laughs> I would love anytime. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com.
Thank you, Kate, for a great interview and for sharing how our audiences can diversify their fixed income portfolios. To you, our audiences, thank you for listening to another episode of Queer Money. Here is your takeaway. Please talk with your financial advisor about how fixed income in this volatile market, high inflation environment can work for you, whether you're preparing for tomorrow or preparing for several years from now. Then join us next week when we learn how to increase your income through freelance writing or maybe even change a career with the prolific Miranda Marquette. Thanks again and have a great week.